Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour is here. Bobby Carpenter will be with us in 20 minutes. Later in today's show, Brent Hobbs of AllQuest.com. Kayla Kinnearum of Outkick.com. Looking forward to all of those guests. Our thanks to Clark Lee, Vanderbilt head coach, for joining us in studio here at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton, the entire crew making the show happen for us. It includes Dylan Taylor and Jakob Swanson, uh, Davey Hudson, and, of course, Corey Taylor uh, on uh, the ones and twos, the chairman today on the board. Uh, Chad, it's a, a busy day getting you into the weekend. We will continue to keep you updated on the PGA Championship. Show is flying by. Yeah, it, it, so yeah, far. it is. Flying by. Um, the offseason not flying by for one A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown, former Titans receiver, traded to the Philadelphia Eagles. One of the qualities of A.J. Brown during his three years with the Tennessee Titans, um, at least I always found him to be extremely focused on proving the person across from him wrong. Um, not a lot of talk got to him. It was a chip on his shoulder where he's a second-round pick who felt like he should have been a first-round pick and wanted to earn a, a second contract the minute that he stepped foot in rookie OTAs and minicamps from Ole Miss. Um, for the first time, there's a fan base in his head. It's the Tennessee Titans fan base because he scheduled or was scheduled to host a football camp here in Nashville. And it, Look, it's his own prerogative here when he gets traded uh, to a different market and whatever he's doing to decide what he's going to do and if he wants uh, to hand that off to a different player or players uh, to run their own camp. That, that happens more often than, than what people may realize uh, when someone leaves a market, someone else can step up and take over or, or a philanthropy, a nonprofit, whatever it might be. Um, a prime example, Jarrell Casey is uh, traded to Denver. Kevin Byer took over his nonprofit work here in town. That's one example. Um, so uh, very easily, A.J. Brown could hand off this football camp to another player. But he has released a statement where he's saying that his, his safety is in jeopardy. Oh and gosh. that's the paraphrase here. But I'm going to read the, the statement before he deletes it, and, and, and then we can react. I'm so sorry I let down your kids and many others, but I will not put myself in a place where my peace is going to be threatened by adults who feel... Away, who feel away because I was traded. I'm every bad word it is for taking care of my family, in all caps. If you're not aware, just look on social media. I'm a man first, and I will always do what I feel is right for me and my family. People are upset, and that's fine, but it's not that serious when it comes to me. People can disrespect me on social media, and that's fine, but being disrespectful to my face is a whole other another thing, and I'm not tolerating it on any level. So forgive me for not putting myself in a place where my peace could be threatened because if someone happens and I react, then I'm the one who has everything to lose and I'm not willing to put my peace, my family, or my job at risk. 
Um, that, so, he says, take care, love. Basically, if a fan shows up and says something to me that I don't like, I'm going to beat the hell out of them. But also, and that's going to be worse for me than them. When, when is that? I mean, when so is I don't, ever, I don't have the self-control to not fight someone that says something. But, but also, um, this is excuse-making, quite frankly, because when, when does that happen? I mean, with all the fan bases that would talk trash to players, and that happens everywhere you go on the road, um, nine times out of ten, those that are talking junk on social media don't have the balls would to say it to their face. never say it to someone's and, face. And uh, on, on top of that, um, it just would not happen at a kid's camp to begin with. Also, um, the vitriol was against the Tennessee Titans on draft night. Not on A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown used the leverage that he had, and I was all for him using the leverage at that time because he played his cards to get paid now. And that's exactly what happened. He didn't get paid here, but he was paid elsewhere and got paid what he wanted through his agent and the way they maneuvered this. Um, it's his own prerogative. If he wants to do a camp or not wherever the camp takes place. But to say that you, you feel like you know, your, your safety is in jeopardy to me, that's laughable. It's, it's yet another example of every time A.J. Brown takes to social media, he just doesn't look very smart. This is so stupid. Hutton, you nailed it. Not one person that's saying something dumb or mean to A.J. Brown on Twitter would ever confront him publicly. You know what A.J. Brown's going to get if he comes to Nashville for a, a kid's camp? He's going to get a lot of appreciative little kids and families, and he's going to get a bunch of Titans goobs showing up to love on A.J. Brown. That's what he's going to get. Yeah. A.J., come sign my jersey, man. I love you. John Robinson sucks. <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't believe they let you go. That's the right. Titans fan that shows up to that camp. Right. That is 100% of the Titans fans that show up to that camp. Not one bad thing that you've heard on social media is going to manifest itself at this camp. This is such cowardice by A.J. Brown to use this as an example. And here's my advice to A.J. I do this all the time, and I don't have the following of A.J. Brown. I don't make as much money as A.J. Brown does. But it's very simple that if you've done something that has pissed people off, and I do it quite often, or write something that makes them mad, if you are getting angry with the comments, just do this. Just scroll to the top of your comments. Don't read them. And then just go about your day. And then refresh when something else happens. And if you don't like the way those comments, just scroll up again and pay it no mind. Well, you have to, at some point, be bigger than this. What's he going to think whenever, you know, he... Philly fans? Yeah. And media but get see, on him? But see, the, the difference with why... I, I don't think... Uh, AJ's not afraid of a fight. Um, and he's also not afraid of someone talking trash to him. Like, I, I don't think the trash talk in Philadelphia will factor into his play whatsoever. He's that type of mindset whenever he's playing football. This is just bizarre how this has taken on a life of its own over the last month and a half with him. Because well, it's, keep, it, keep in mind, we, we knew more about Debo Samuel's unhappiness in San Francisco for three months before we knew about AJ. Um, only, only, it took only a Debo Samuel video of AJ on speakerphone to learn what he was asking for versus what the Titans were offering. So none of this was played out publicly until recently. So whatever, and, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not calling him, um, I'm not saying he's lying about whatever he may be receiving on social media. I think that takes place 
Um, and again, I, I don't think 97% of those people would have the stones to say it to his face. And the other 3% would do it in a jokey manner, hoping not to get slapped. Yeah, and so the first response to this statement that A.J. Brown made was from someone who says, damn, is he scared to come back to the Ville now? WTF. I'd be more worried about a Philly fan than a Titans fan. A.J. Brown immediately responded to that. Again, I'm going through this saying, you don't have to respond to every comment or look at every mention. And A.J. Brown says, no, I ain't scared of bleep. Just know I'm not going for BS that takes place on Twitter in real life. I mean, this is A.J. Brown essentially saying, I'm going to show up, and I feel like one person's going to say something. I'm going to beat them up, and I'm going to be the one going to jail for it. And I'm the one with a lot more to lose, so I'm not going to put myself in in that situation. I I just – A.J. Brown has shown self-control over the course of his life to, you know, not get arrested as an NFL player because someone heckles him. Well, I I will say this is also – we're about 14 months removed from him saying that he was contemplating suicide after his rookie season. So, I, I mean, and he said that at a press conference with the Tennessee Titans um, during training camp, or it may have been during an OTA or minicamp. Uh, nonetheless, th- this guy is, again, he tweets something, deletes it, uh, responds to a fan, will ultimately delete it. So if you see something from AJ, um, screenshot. screenshot it if you need a receipt to prove that he's thinking a certain way. But, like, he's, he's just wired to a way where I, I don't think the trash talk affects him. This is, this is him trying. I, I, Chad, I don't know if this is him wanting to be 100% thoroughly loved by the Titans fan base where he was just shipped out of town by his own request and thought it was going to go a different way or if he thought he was going to get the contract extension here and didn't and now there, there are sour grapes based on that. Nonetheless, man, just go about your, go about your career. Like, you don't have to do the, the, the football camp in the summer. You can pass that off to another player, pay that player to do the camp for the one year, and then they can make that their annual deal. You've got the money to do it now. You don't have to say that you, you feel like you're threatened uh, because people on social media are, are going to show up. They don't. And one thing 50% is, of them are bots. One Just ask Elon sure, Musk. I'm getting a little, yeah, no, no doubt. I'm getting a little bit nervous if I'm Philly. Uh, with with some of this, oh, I'm we'll not. see if it ever manifests itself on the field. But th- this guy, I is, would be more nervous about him with a hamstring than I would with him getting into a fight or it affecting his play on the well, field. Well, you mentioned the you know thoughts of suicide that he talked about before, and now the constant tweeting and deleting of posts and everything else is just look. He may just be getting bad advice or no no good advice. But if I'm advising A.J. Brown, it's just it's simple. It's, it's sort of along the lines of what you said. Don't do the camp. Do the camp, whatever. Yeah. Just shut up. I mean, up. For, for your own mental health. Yeah, you don't even need to release well-being. a statement. Just, just go about it, man. Just, like, let it go. Have and your management you team release go. a statement about what's going to happen with the camp and who's taking over. Like, just don't get involved with this. I would also – you can't dictate to these guys what to do in their personal life or on social media. Um, I would advise A.J. Brown just to go ahead and shut down social media during the months of the season. Once the season gets here, just don't worry about it. Because Philly Twitter is going to be a lot bigger and badder and meaner than Titans Twitter if something goes wrong in Philly. So get ready for that. Because there was nothing but love in Nashville when he was a player here. Well, there's nothing but but love because there's nothing not to love about A.J. Brown, the football player. I mean, he exemplifies... Everything you want in a a mentality of 
wanting to go out and perform at the highest level every time he took the field, you could count on him doing something. Um, and if he wasn't scoring, he was setting up a scoring drive in some massive moments. I mean, they're, they're few and far between of players that we've seen like him. Um, and, and that's why a lot of people have their doubts about whether or not the Titans can replace him. So on the field, I don't, I don't find any. It, it's just uh, the, the structure of the, the whole social media stuff and the distraction on, on the app itself is just odd to me with him on this. Just yeah, put, just I, put I it away. I, 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 I don't think get it. it. It'll be a stress reliever but, for him if you just put it away. What I mean by that is A.J. Brown dropped passes too. He, he had games where he had drop problems, individual games, like everyone does. But in Nashville, Titans fans aren't going to be as loud and vocal about those moments. They're going to focus more on the good moments, and it's not going to be as bad. It's going to be worse in Philly. Even if he is the player he was in Nashville, it can still be worse in Philly when you have bad moments. So my advice is just stay off of it. Who cares? The people that are tweeting you and the bots that are tweeting you are not going to affect your paycheck and are not going to affect you as an NFL player. So forget about it. Well, I mean, keep in mind, like, last, last was it June? Ju- no, it was, it was July. It was training camp whenever we moved. We moved in uh, to this studio in August. Uh, it was while we were here in this studio. He, um, you know, he's worried about what others are saying about his teammates, you know, like Josh Reynolds. And whether or not, you know, he's soft as a player. And A.J. took exception to that. Um, so he's paying attention to what others are saying about not even mentioning him in his Twitter account. That's... It's next level. Yeah, things have just built up to a point where you're seeing him have to feel like he has to comment on everything now. Which is not going to be good for him. No. Um, Sam Cook has retired. The Ravens punter, after 16 seasons, has retired. Now... Baltimore, I bring this story up because this tells you about offseason plans in the NFL draft. The Baltimore Ravens drafted a punter. It was in the fourth or fifth round of this year's draft, and they were laughed at. Like, you've got Sam Cook, you draft a punter, and, and there, there's behind-the-scenes stories on all this with uh, Peter King being in the draft room and other things. This is why they did that. They draft a guy that they feel like can be a 10-plus-year player for them the same way Sam Cook was at 39 years old and playing in over 256 games. Um, it was a fourth-round punter. Jordan Stout is the uh, replacement in Baltimore. Mentioned earlier, Panthers and Seahawks remain interested in Baker Mayfield. That storyline has not changed. For whatever reason, it's back up as a headline. Uh, it's Don't waste your time clicking on that. I'm, I'm bringing it up because it's a headline today. There's no update on that report. Uh, Greg Olson is going to call the Super Bowl this year for Fox Sports. So he'll be elevated to the number one team until Tom Brady joins the crew or um, they take Greg Olson and somehow make him a part of that crew whenever Brady joins them. Not maybe in the booth, but as a part of that team overall. I don't know how they do it. Um, But Olson paired with Burkhart will be a, a nice pairing that we've seen over the last handful of years. And... You know, whenever Brady joins, it's a home run, and Olsen is, is ready to go with whoever's going to be taking over his play-by-play for, for his crew. So everything I know and read about Greg Olsen is that he is a super confident guy and very confident in his broadcast abilities and football knowledge, and he believes he is a number one. I think this is a brilliant move by him to not be showing any ego with this about being a temporary number one at Fox. 
And I say that because this could also serve as an audition elsewhere. We've seen the money going around for top NFL broadcasters and broadcast teams. If he crushes it for the next year or two as the Fox number one, he's going to have opportunities at Amazon or at you know, Apple Plus in the future if they get involved or anywhere else. So I think it's a really smart move by Greg Olson. What I've seen from him, Hutton, I like in terms of his broadcast yeah. abilities. But, hey, he's not Tom Brady. <laughs> so he will be replaced when Tom Brady comes along. And I think most people understand that. But as we've seen with all these net, I mean, there are so many positions. Like they, they, who knows where we are with a, a quote unquote number one crew with Brady, um, where you've got Brady and Burkhart, and then you, depending on if you want to mix and match, you can use different things with your broadcast on game day. But I'm with you, Chad. It's a, it's a great move by Olson, who sticks with the play by play guy he knows. You know, there's a comfortable aspect to that. And then whenever he crushes it on these top games, because he's going to get Dallas quite a bit, he's going to have millions watching, um, you, you end up increasing your value overall. Or you get paid as a number one, as a number two color commentator for the next crew. I think lesser people that have less confidence would view this as, and, and aren't as sure of themselves, would view this as, why would I want to do this? Their ego yeah. would get in the way yeah, and yeah, say, Oh, so I'm a it's placeholder. A great, it's a great point. I'm a placeholder for your boy Tom Terrific when he's done playing to come in here. And instead, he's saying, "Hey, Fox has been good to me. They gave me my opportunity. I will be the number one until Tom gets here, and I'm going to show how good I am for either Fox to place me on other games in a good spot or go somewhere else and do games." I think it's the right look. I haven't heard from Greg Olson, but the fact we're not hearing about any, you know, discontent that he has right now with this situation shows me he's handling it the right way. Coming up, Bobby Carpenter will join us. He chatted with Nick Saban yesterday on his uh, SiriusXM show. We'll chat with Bobby Carpenter about that interview. Did we airbrush this photo, Bobby, also? We will also? get his take on uh, some, of the, some of the big headlines involving Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. Bobby Carpenter next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It has been a while, at least it, I feel like it's been a while, Chad, since we've had the opportunity to chat with Bobby Carpenter. Well, two weeks away from Bobby Carpenter feels like two years. Yeah, it does. It does. So that's a long time. It does. Uh, host of Carp's Corner and uh, on SiriusXM yesterday on his show, he had uh, Nick Saban stick with the uh, booking and uh, come on and I was surprised. You know I was, Chad. We had the topic of whether or not Saban would apologize. I said no and... He did. He apologized to Jimbo on, on Bobby Carpenter's is like show. a one-man 60 minutes, I feel like, to land the Nick Saban interview after that 10-minute tirade from Jimbo Fisher. That, that's big time. Bobby Carpenter joins us. So, Bobby, uh, yesterday, prior to knowing that they were going to keep the scheduled interview, were you worried that Saban, with everything going on, would press pause on all media appearances? So... You know, a little inside baseball with that. We had him booked. I was on with Jacob Hester, who 
ironically played for Nick and Jimbo at LSU. And so he's kind of like the, the kids sitting in the middle of the divorce proceedings <laughs> right now with the counseling, like, like who you choose. And I joked with him during, yeah. after the, uh, after the interview, I'm like, are you choosing like team Jimbo? Are you going to choose team Nick? One was your offensive coordinator. One offered you a scholarship was your head coach. Um, but you know, he had helped set that up and I give, I give Nick a lot of credit. You know, he could have ducked that said, Hey, I'm not going to do it. Just try to let the clock run out. But however, guys, you know, they've got the sec spring meetings. They're coming up in Destin in a couple of weeks. And I thought it was better. And I think he probably realized this. He's 70 to get on the record at that point and diffuse the situation a little bit, as opposed to letting this thing grow and build, because you hear some of the comments that Jimbo made about not just, you know, we'll call it, you know, the name calling with czar of football, God of football, uh, you know, whatever you, uh, narcissist, I mean, whatever all those are, that's, that's one thing. What he threw out there is, Hey, go talk to any of his assistants. And I'll tell you how God did this and, you know, bury, you know, the, where the bodies are buried essentially and why he's been so successful. And so you go to the sec media days, gentlemen, as you know, you got Kirby smart. That's going to be there. You got Lane Kiffin, you have Billy Napier, um, you have Pittman. I mean, there's like five or six guys that are his former assistants. <laughs> And now they're getting going to be thrown out there and have to answer all these questions. So I think Nick wanted to kind of get ahead of it, try to obviously, you know, temper some of it a little bit. And then plus you had Greg Sankey, who had to play the role of dad in this situation and separate you know, two of his national championship winning head coaches and say, listen, guys, I mean, it's one thing to kind of go back and forth and be Lane Kiffin and subtly call people out. It's a completely different thing to just throw somebody's name on it and make you know, pretty serious, I wouldn't say accusations, but just essentially saying that you can't out-recruit me unless you're going to be paying all your players, which, by the way, at this point in time, I mean, there's some gray area, but like, it's really not truly against the rules with how things are operating. So what was your reaction, Bobby, when not just to the Jimbo Fisher part of this, but when Nick Saban – said what he said at this World Games event in Birmingham, Alabama. I was surprised because it's so rare that you see a college coach actually go there. A lot of them believe it. They'll tell all their friends and people behind the scenes, but to say it into a microphone and say flat out, they bought every player, we bought no players. That, that, to me, that is, the, that is the boilerplate bottom line of what he says. They buy everyone, we bought no one. And he called Texas A&M by name in doing so. I, I was shocked, Bobby. Were you surprised that Saban uh, broke the mafia blood oath and called someone out by name? Yeah, that, that, I was a little surprised with that. And my first inclination was, well, maybe he didn't realize he's being taped. But <laughs> Nick is one of the smartest coaches you're going to find. He's incredibly calculated. Everything he does and says, he does and says for a reason. And you think of some of the things he's done over the years. And well-documented lately, you know, where he's talked, you know, five, six years ago, talked about how it's the offensive up-tempo game is ruining it, football, and he was a defensive guy. So people, it came, comes across as sour grapes. He's all right, I'll shift. I'll just go be better at you than uh, this way. You know, you start talking about some other things and stuff. And I remember he was talking about, you know, people getting upset that, you know, their fans at Bama, you know, the Bama fans either get there late or leave early. And it's like, hey, we're, I, we can't help it. We're beating teams 28 to nothing in the second quarter. What do you want us to do? You should still be here to support your players. 
you know, so there's always messaging. And I, so I try to figure out who is he talking to with this. And the funny thing was, gentlemen, is that he actually said, made comments similar to this, you know, a couple months ago, a couple, maybe a few weeks ago about, you know, how collectives are ruining, you know, college football and, you know, kind of threw some different shots out about paying for players and pay for play and all these different things. And you, know, you can allude to things that have happened in the past and whether or not, you know, there, there's things that happened prior to NIL, but he had never put anyone's name on it. And I think this was speaking to a couple people. Number one, you know, I don't know if it's a, you know, speaking to whoever's in charge, whether that's, you know, Mark Emmert's on his way out, whoever they're going to, is going to be the arbiters of college football now. And, whether they get their own governance or not, or maybe it's Greg Sankey, but like, listen, this, and he, he talked about this a lot on the show. It's, it's not Jimbo. He's upset with and Texas A&M it's, it's the collectives. We created a term collectives and never like collectives. You asked me what a collective was a year ago. I'd be like a collectible, like a card, like a piece of memorabilia. We, we created a term now to fit what's going on and how we're going to operate. And so, no one really foresaw this happening of how this was going to break out. And I don't, I think that he doesn't like that. He doesn't like losing number one. And so two things can be true. It can be sour grapes by Nick Saban of, Hey, Jimbo obviously beat us last year. You know, he said a couple great recruiting classes back to back, but Hey, what they did, and it wasn't just A&M, but other schools as well. They also, you know, have these collectives and it's not good for the sport at large. And I, I do agree with him at that is I love the NIL concept. I don't necessarily love the collective concept. How do you decouple that and try to figure out, you know, one versus the other recruiting inducements versus there's someone getting to school and earning cash like that. Those things are tough. It's going to be really tough to kind of parcel that out. And I, I really don't know how you do it. Nick's answer, which I asked him was, Hey, We'll just get rid of the collectives. And if collectives are tied to the university in any way, or there's boosters involved, and they're under the same constraints as they were prior, I just don't know how you're going to really be able to enforce that unless you hire a bunch of people. But after looking at the NCAA's accounting for the last seven years and realizing they spent $304 million on outside counsel defending uh, legal issues, maybe they could peel off a little bit of that and try to do a better job of managing some of the compliance that they preach so heavily on. There were lightning bolts coming out of the eyes of Jimbo Fisher yesterday. Bobby Carpenter with us. With that being said, Bobby, how do you think Jimbo Fisher moves forward with this now? Like He says he's done with Nick Saban. That was prior to Saban going on the show with, with uh, you yesterday. What do you think Jimbo Fisher does now? It'll be interesting. I mean, they play October 8th. You know, Pat McAfee was texting me during the interview saying, you need to ask Saban if he's going to shake his hand before the game. I'm like, my goodness, dude. He might he might strangle me through the phone. Have you ever seen the way Nick stares at people? I could feel that stare even if it was only of uh, an audio interview and without even yeah. the, the video element of it. So I, I think Nick probably wants to try to mend this. You know, I think he does respect Jimbo. I think part of the reason, I think, and I'll tell you why I think Jimbo was so upset with that. This is a guy who won a national championship as a head coach. There's only, there's only what, three guys currently coaching in the SEC that have won them, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, and, uh, uh, and Jimbo Fisher. You know, he won it at Florida State, but he's, like, he, he's insinuating, Nick was, 
that the only reason they were able to beat him on any recruit was the fact that they paid guys. And so I don't, I mean, you've been around college football coaches, professional football coaches. It's an incredibly prideful bunch. And I think that that is what probably hurt the most is not the fact that the accusations are this or that, but Nick's like, we had players that grew up wanting to go to Alabama and basically they went to A&M because you guys were able to pay them more. Like, and, and if I'm, if I'm Jimbo Fisher, I'm upset about that too. And so that's going to eat at you a little bit. I think Nick wants to resolve it. I asked him if he'd reached out because you heard Jimbo say that uh, you heard Jimbo say that he called him and I'm not answering. I'm not talking. Now I was in the moment he was fired up. You can tell, you see how emotional he was. He called a state of the union uh, or a a presser at the bully pulpit as if he was the president of the United States. (laughs) I mean, just in response to what another coach, this wasn't like allegations and sanctions and, you know, a player, you know, being injured or something or a coach getting in trouble. I mean, this was simply in response to another coach's comments. And so you can see the emotion there. I would like to think that there's enough mutual respect that, you know, maybe they're never going to be quote friends again or whatever, but that they do kind of mend that a little bit. But I mean, Jimbo said some scathing things and think about it guys. And this was his offensive coordinator for five years and for his first national championship at LSU, there is a history there. And it felt like these things had been boiling for a while, both on the side of Nick and then especially on the side of Jimbo. So I don't think this will ever fully be mended. I think the most you could probably have is maybe like the cold handshake at halftime or after the game where it's like a Bill Belichick and maybe an Eric Mangini or something like that. Chad, he mentioned uh, the old the, drive-by handshake at the end of the game. Yeah. Real we're, quick. we're probably getting that anyway. Uh, Chad, he mentioned the presidency and holding a press conference like the presidency. If Jimbo Fisher ran for president yesterday, uh, outside of the state of Alabama, within the SEC footprint, he would win the, the popular vote. Yeah, Commissioner Sankey would have to look out for his job if there was a <laughs> vote for a commissioner after that. Yeah, I know. Uh, and again, a big thanks to Clark Lee for going against the gag order placed by the commissioner, yes. apparently, on coaches and coming on our show today. Bobby Carpenter, our guest on Outkick 360. Bobby, this apparently all stems from uh, Jimbo Fisher disagreeing with how Nick Saban ran his program at LSU when Jimbo Fisher was there, the constraints he put on coaches about getting there before Nick Saban, staying after. Uh, there's quotes out about from some anonymous coaches saying, I saw exactly a game and a half of my son's entire high school career uh, in Baton Rouge when I was there because Nick Saban would not let us leave the office. There was this feud with Jimbo Fisher as offensive coordinator with Nick Saban running the defense and how he wouldn't let Jimbo Fisher run the offense. You've been around football a long time. I know you've heard of these things festering up with defensive-minded coach or offensive-minded head coach versus a strong-willed coach on the other side of the ball. Have you ever seen it to this point where Jimbo Fisher, here are the facts, he did not go to Miami with Nick Saban. He stayed and coached for Les Miles as offensive coordinator. Um, he was one of the, you know, there's a lot of instances with Saban where he would leave and no one else would go when he left. Have you seen it to this point with assistant versus head coach? So I've played for a number of guys who have coached for Nick Saban, whether it's Michigan State, LSU, at Miami, um, at Alabama. And so I've, and I've, I'm friends and close with a lot of those guys. And I remember I asked Nick Saban this point blank because 
Mark Mark D'Antonio, who was the head coach at Michigan State for a number of years, was the DB's coach at Michigan State for Nick. And that's his that's his position. And any coach will tell you, as hard as it is maybe to be an offensive coordinator for a defensive coach, it's infinitely harder to be the position coach for a strong-willed coach, and that's his specialty. And so he leaned on Dino a lot. And I remember talking to you know him about that, and I asked – I asked Nick when I was getting interviewed for the combine about that, about how tough he was, you know, on play and how hard he was to play for. Cause I'd heard all these stories and Nick literally told me, he's like, I'm a lot hotter, harder on my coaches than I am on my players. And every story that I've heard about him, you know, that it, it, it's the truth. Now he's going to tell you, show you how to do it. If you can coach for him, people realize you can coach for anyone and you understand how to run a program and you're going to have a lot of success. But Nate, make no mistake about it. I mean, it's like going to West Point. You may not enjoy the process. It's like getting your face hit with a Brillo pad. Like, that's not going to be enjoyable. But underneath it, man, it's going to be a great exfoliation. It's just the process is going to suck. And so understanding that, like, I think that's how most of his assistants feel. Now, some of them probably have better relationships with them than others. But, I mean, there's a lot of guys that are like, hey, I respect how good of a coach he is. And the fact that he's probably the best coach in college football history and the best modern coach for sure. But he doesn't necessarily leave you with this warm feeling. And the reason guys coach for him is because he can get them jobs, not because they really enjoy working for the man. How eager are you to see some of the headlines that come out of the SEC spring meeting uh, in regards to exactly what we're talking about, which is going to be item number zero on Greg Sankey's plate there. It's not going to be your average spring meeting. Was it going to be prior to this feud? And now it's been amplified even more. Here's my dream, fellas. The guy who does the best of stirring the pot is that old Miss. I mean, he's coached for Saban. He's been at multiple SEC schools now. He has a famous last name. And Lane Kiffin is the kid on the playground that does a great job of starting the fight and then backing out and just letting the chaos ensue. And so if there's a guy that you could talk to and say, Lane, get it juiced up and maybe allude to some stories, (laughs) throw some things out there, ask Jimbo about this, ask Nick about that. And he doesn't even have to talk about Ole Miss. And he'll be promoting his school the whole time because I guarantee you every news outlet will cover it but he could throw lots of stuff out there and he's the perfect guy because everyone knows about his relationship and how kind of, you know, spoiled, I guess you could say it got at the end and he's thrown barbs back and forth and he's the guy on Twitter. I mean, I don't know if you saw Gus Malzahn's tweet yesterday. He tweets out there. Hey, just got on Twitter. Anything happened today? I mean, <laughs> all these guys get it, but I think Lane, I mean, he's, he is the, the court jester. He would be the perfect dude in Destin to really stir this thing up and bring it to a fever pitch. I just don't know. Like, I feel like Greg Sankey might have some sort of shock collar on those guys yeah. and just shut them down because nobody wants to see – some infighting is good, gets things going, competitive rivalries, but nobody wants to see mudslinging to the point where, hey, man, you're, you're really – you could do some irreparable damage – to our conference, and to some of these teams. Well, and consider that Jimbo Fisher's already called Kiffin a clown this offseason. Called his program, you know, the clown show in Oxford. Uh, That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, let's 
Let's crank it up a notch, Chad. Well, let's, it's it's let's take it there. It's funny too. <laughs> I, I, for one of the many things I was reading today was talking about how it's like the the Saban frat. All the ex Saban assistants yeah. at SEC media days, they all eat lunch together and they have their own inside jokes and they all gather around. And Jimbo Fisher's never been a part of that clique since he got back at A and M. He's always separate with everyone else. And now, how that dynamic is going to look with the two sides, where almost you know half the league is a Saban guy and the other half isn't, and how they're going to face off. Bobby, I'm left thinking the rest of America is against Saban uh, on this in college coaching because he violated a cardinal sin. And that is, unless, especially if you don't have full proof of it, you don't just go calling coaches and programs out all willy-nilly about cheating, especially if you've been doing some of the same stuff. Well, and that's the thing. There's always been some of those accusations around Nick, and you know he's done a great job of squashing. And that's the thing. Like people, when you call him out and you lose, like, well, it's sour grapes. And you can say it's sour grapes with Nick, maybe even calling out Jimbo a little bit after they beat him last year and everything. But you know, he also, I mean, there was Aflac on Aflac crime. He put Deion <laughs> yeah, Sanders' right. name in that. You know, he's like, I love it too. You can tell his age. He's seventy years old. And this is some coaches would say to us, like when we were growing up is, hey, get your name in the newspaper because you can check the newspaper. And it's like, dude, that was online. We're talking about some sliced bread stuff. At least Jimbo's got the next evolution uh, down. We start talking about some of the internet and everything that goes on with social media. But um, there, were, like you said, he violated the code. He, he went after Miami and their basketball program. And I honestly think that he believes this is going to be bad for college athletics. And I, I don't disagree with him. I just don't know how to fix it. I don't know how you can delineate all these things, especially when you have some of the rulings that have come down legally from the Supreme court and whatever Congress is going to try to do. But it's when you go after another coach and you say things like that, I mean, everybody knows, especially guys, they know where the bodies are buried. And that's why I think Jimbo is like, all right, buddy, you want to rip it open. And we've got the closet back there that we've pushed all the dirty laundry, all the stuff into the skeletons over the years. We'll open this thing up, and we're going to dump it all out if that's where you want to go with it. I'm, See, I'm not calling Jimbo Fisher the king, but you know if you go after the king, you better kill him. I feel that way about college coaches in any type of powerful position. Go right ahead if, you, if you've got the evidence, but if you go after the king or that coach, you better kill him. And last I checked, Jimbo Fisher is not dead at A&M with the recruiting and the building of the program he's been doing over the years. Well, and I think he realizes at A&M, hey, fellas, you know, oil's oil's about 110 bucks a barrel. I mean, they're going to have a lot of cash being poured in to A&M over the years. They want to win. They're starving for a national championship. Jimbo Fisher has won that national championship at Florida State. He has the pedigree. He understands Nick. They know that. They got a great recruiting class. There's a lot of things lined up, and I think Jimbo Fisher feels a lot of wind in his sails, understanding like, hey, we get he's got to deal with Kirby Smart. Like Nick did have this whole thing on lockdown, and he was his biggest rival that he had to deal with for a number of years was LSU, and LSU had great talent, but he could outcoach you know less and Ed Orgeron any day of the week. They'd only get him one out every six times, and they probably had a better team half the time. But this situation is a little different because Kirby Smart's a heck of a football coach. Jimbo Fisher's a heck of a football coach. And these guys have a lot of momentum now behind them. How was Turks and Caicos, Bobby? Coach, it was great. I'm sorry I couldn't get it done. I, I thought, you know, we'd be we working with some nice Wi-Fi there. I thought the cell reception at worst would be better. 
it was not the weather was a little rough day one it was raining we got there a little cloudy day two but days three and four really stepped up i'd never been there before the water is absolutely beautiful it's not heavily populated like i like going man and being active i swam growing up so i dived down i was able to get a couple big conch shells bring them back for the kids like there was there was just some good stuff man it was it was a heck of a time Sounds amazing. Uh, the only thing that was lacking on our show last Friday was the backdrop of Turks and Caicos. It's going to be Carpenter. Bobby Carpenter, no doubt about it. 60 minutes, hey. one man, 60 minutes, and trips to Turks and Caicos. Believe me, I was I was I know. dying to do that. I wanted to sit there and have that nice ocean backdrop <laughs> for you guys. I just literally, it would, have been, it would have been in poor form. I tried to get something done earlier that day. No one could get anything out with any type of video accuracy. I'm like, man... I don't want to ruin the show and destroy that for you guys. I got too much respect for you. I wasn't going to go out there, you know, playing with a busted knee, knowing I couldn't get it done. <laughs> we just have you uh, zoom in, and we don't. We're just silent. We just want to hear the the surrounding <laughs> environment of Turks and Caicos. It's going to be like, great for our radio audience. <laughs> just the, now we're going to listen to the waves crash. Yes. Hey, uh, Bobby, uh, have a great weekend, man, and uh, we'll catch up with you next week. Great job on the on the chat with uh, with you and Hester with there with Saban yesterday. I appreciate it, guys. You enjoy your weekend. All Thanks, right. Bobby. Bobby Carpenter there on Outkick 360. Coming up, uh, some some headlines plus a, a random bonus that's in the works for one of the NBA players that is playing tonight uh, for the Mavs. You've got to hear this bonus structure, um, which is odd if he wins a ring. We've got details on that. PGA Championship leaderboard. Brent Hubbs is coming up in 15 minutes. We'll talk all things Vols, football, SEC headlines, and more on OutKick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Spencer Dinwiddie can get top dollar. Outkick 360 rolls on. Um, So... Every NBA player's got these bonus structures, right? Spencer Dinwiddie um, had a trade where he's, he's playing now for the uh, Dallas Mavericks. Dallas Mavericks, but he went from the Brooklyn Nets to the Washington Wizards. And included in those incentives that was all inherited is this $1 bonus, a $1 bonus if they win the title, if Dallas wins the title. So the only thing that I can think that this $1. makes sense because it's just weird that you have a $1 bonus is there was something in the original contract with the, the team he was with at the time where everyone had a championship bonus. And so that was part of the team contract, and he's got a bigger bonus for something else. But they just included that clause, and he said, well, I'll just take a dollar for that one if I get this much for the other one. And well, moved a lot of money over something bonuses. else. So it, he was with the Wizards. That's, of course, been picked up by the Mavs this past February in a trade for Christoph Porzingis. Um, so he was a part of that deal. And so the Mavs inherited this contract. It's a three-year, $62 million deal. One and a half million bonus if he plays 50 or more games this season. 571000 if 
they were to make the Eastern Conference Final, which I'm assuming now is the Western Conference Final. Yep. Um, he made that. 400000 if his team makes the NBA Finals. And 100000 if his team makes the second round, which they've done that. And then $1 if teams wins the title. So and now I'm starting to think, well, maybe it's just a financial incentive thing for the team where once you make the finals, the team revenue is not that much difference because you get the extra series. I don't know. So you're in the finals. So, hey, congrats. You made all well, of your uh, escalators of your, your clauses, and now you just get a dollar if you win it. Yeah, but I feel like this would be a, um, that would be included in the story if every Wizards player – who signed an extension, had a $1 bonus for winning the championship. Yeah, and that's why, again, I, I have no idea. I'm just simply speculating why this might be. Maybe other people have bigger ones in there, and his agent worked it out where, well, hey, you have to have this championship thing, and they said, okay, I'll take a dollar for the championship if you give me this much more for playing 60 games or whatever. And they just moved money over and made that a dollar. I don't know, because <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Just don't have the clause. No, it's almost like a typo. You know, it feels like, a, hey, let's instead of putting six zeros next to this, let's put none and see if they catch it. You know, it, it could, could come out. That that's actually a million dollars, that <laughs> bonus. And we're talking about it for no reason. It's not really a dollar, guys. We just and we're going to change that in the contract. This becomes a huge issue when the Mavs win it all and they don't pay him because of the typo. And he really is owed a million dollars. That's the next story. Coming up, we'll keep you updated on the PGA Championship leaderboard. And Brent Hubs of VolQuest.com joins us. The very latest from the Hill in Knoxville. Brent joins us to chat about that. Plus, SEC headlines galore on OutKick 360. Hang with us.